think about so one for one first thing is the scenario that you just described. Do you think that mother would raise her child to be open and free and you ask questions readily and explore and you're valuable child? Not would at she all. raise her child like that? Because that means that that can ensure that child's death because that child then is stepping out of the social box that you are supposed to be in, in order to stay alive. You know what I'm saying? Ooh. So that, that's first. So that means that you are teaching your child in order to endure all the harsh realities that that child will experience. Two, there is research in a new field called epigenetics. And they have studied- What is that? Epigenetics. What is epigenetics. that? So this is a field of research, field of study, where they look at how gene expression changes. For the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and Buddha walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure. You got to love a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, dog. Here we go. Hello, everyone. This is Ursula with Black girls getting their shift together. Today is a bonus day. This is a midday delight. So people come in, say hello. I am going to introduce my guest. But before we do that, I'm going to go over a couple of updates. And um, once again, I want to thank everybody for their support of my podcast. Like I said, last night I did the analytics and I saw that, of course, most of my listeners were here in Georgia, but they're all over the country. I've seen California, Washington State. I have no idea who's in Washington State, Florida, Virginia, Kentucky. I don't know. And also it's around the world. I can literally say I am global. I don't know who, but Whoever it is, they're wanting to hear and get their shift together. So I saw uh, countries, um, Canada, Singapore, South Africa, Jamaica, Canada, Great Britain. I will post a screenshot of my analytics on my social media. Also, I know I have a lot of listeners and very important that if you all, and I know you all enjoy the podcast because you, you send me messages and you text and email and call. So say hello when you're online. It helps podcasters. And also it lets our guests know, hey, Linda, hey, Tiffany. It lets the special guests that we know that you, that they hear you also, you hear them. We also 
have a November challenge coming up. I'll announce it mid-November. Huge announcement that I'm very proud of. And let's see. That's pretty much it. So right now I'm going to bring on our special guest. Hello, Sarita. <laughs> Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying yes. So everyone, this is Sarita Ibrahim. She, little did I know when I reached out to her, she's also located in Atlanta. What a treat. <laughs> but okay. Sarita is also known as the whole whole W-H-O-L-E therapist. And I'm going to read a little bio about Sarita. Remember, if you are also watching this on a replay, please type replay in the notes. Let me know. So Sarita Ibrahim is a social worker, a therapist, and a trauma survivor turned guide. She helps Black women navigate the journey of healing their trauma by practicing self-therapy to increase integrity, ah, self-love, love it, self-trust. That's so important. Healing is a spiritual process that doesn't have to be complicated. Knowing yourself and who you are, not the foundation of all your relationships, including the one you have with God. You really are the center of your universe and you can rule with love. It's all about love. So yeah. I just want to let everybody know how Sarita and I met. We met online. <laughs> I was a self-care therapist stalker and I would always watch when her lives would show the notifications on my phone. And I reached out to Sarita and Sarita has a beautiful little girl. We were trying to get our schedule together, but I understand she's a mommy, but this is a lesson for everyone. Never quit. She didn't return my emails initially. I mean, she actually, she did, but it was slow getting back. But with Grace, you don't get upset with that. She has a little girl and the world, believe it or not, I'm great, but the world doesn't revolve around me. So if I would have never reached out a second time, she would not have been here and you wouldn't see her beautiful face and what she's going to offer us today. Sarita, once again, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And thank you for being persistent and supportive, you know, and not yeah. taking anything personally. That is a lesson for all of us. So thank you. You can't. You're very welcome, but you can't take your personal. I was... Uh, there was this speaker, I love her, Michelle Thornton Gee, G-H-E-E. -E. And she said, when you reach out, and she is phenomenal. Oh my God, she brings billion dollar businesses to networks. And she had said in, the, in her um, live that you reach out to someone in business and you be persistent about it. And even if it takes 10 times and until they say no, and she's like, that 11th time, now you can take it personal. So no, I would never take it personal. I, it's not me. Now. No. It's not me now. Let me say that. I know, that's right. <laughs> so everyone, this is a very, 
I don't care you're black, white, man, woman, child, adult. Today we're talking about generational trauma. Unfortunately, I've experienced it. And I'm sure after Sarita talks, everyone is going to realize that they have also experienced it. So this is going to be a two-parter. So the first part, we're going to talk about what it looks like in names and yeah, what it's called. And then the second part, which is November 6th at three o'clock PM, we're going to talk about the healing of it and how to get on the other side. So right now, if you can just imagine a rainbow and we're on the left side of the rainbow. And if you look to the right, there's going to be a pot of gold on the other side of the rainbow. So today, Sarita is going to hold our hand and she's going to march us up over the arc of the rainbow. So next week, we're going to dig into the pot of gold and she's going to lead us to that as well. So Sarita, I talked enough. <laughs> Before we get into generational trauma, first of all, what made you want to become a therapist? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I've always loved psychology because yeah. despite my mama's, the trauma she experienced, she told me, and she was not educated formally. She was educated by life, right? And she told me that she always felt the answer was in a book. So she gave me books at a very young age. Is that why you have a gazillion books behind you now? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This ain't even all my books, honey. This is half of the books that I own. Yes. And I didn't really realize that until later on. Like, my mama planted this in me. Yeah. And she would give me psychology books and books like Psychological Chains of Slavery and The Road Lash Traveled. And she was big As into a child? I'm sorry? As a child, she would give you books? I like was that? like, yeah, I was, I was reading Langston Hughes in the fifth grade. And so she, I, I was reading Nika Giovanni, Maya Angelou. Like, I love poetry and I still do. And that was that shaped me because you know understanding because they they wrote about their experiences which was about culture and racism and i still remember my favorite langston hughes poem poem to this day like i'm gonna recite it for you if we got time later on but yes. <laughs> that was my experience so i always looked at the world through the lens of you know wanting to understand the mind wanting to understand why people do what they do and when you grow up in the ghetto which i did and you see what we now know as trauma, but you see violence and abuse and fighting and teen pregnancy and you know cycles of violence and abuse in families, I always felt like this can't be it. And I, I wanted to be a therapist, but because of my own upbringing, I thought that I don't have the luxury to go to school you know, for 10 years. I gotta work, I gotta make some money. And so I just sought knowledge through reading, through books, through spirituality, through taking classes. And that became, that that was the thing that fueled me. So I was chasing money in, in, in like my daylight time. But at night I was like chasing my soul, if that makes sense. Oh, that's some good stuff right there. <laughs> so, so it took a long time for me to just actually decide to go for it. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did because I got the answers that I had searched practically my whole life for. Wow. Where did you grow up? Which state? 
Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, are you a Steelers fan? Before um, you answer, I'm an Eagles fan, and my finger is on the delete button. So now wait. If you ain't want to hear all this good, good, you might delete me, okay? But but you know, it's ingrained in the culture. Like you can't yeah. go up in Pittsburgh and not like Santa Claus wears Steelers outfits in Pittsburgh. Like it's not an option. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that inherited. That's that that inherited culture of this is who you are. This is what you're supposed to be, and this is what you're gonna like. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. <laughs> that's funny. So why did you choose the name? whole the whole therapist so <laughs> you know part of marketing right is to identify yourself and i in understanding trauma the way that i do i recognize that that what people experience what i experienced was feeling less than, feeling broken, feeling like something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And what I also learned, you know, through my education and through my own life was that really we are already whole, but it's really unlearning the things that you've experienced and owning the challenges that you recognize that, like I always say, they say in the ways you've had it all the time. So for me, wholeness is the goal, but you already have the goal. You just don't know that you have it. Wow. Well, you know what? We probably wouldn't know because there's a bunch of generational trauma piled on top of it. And there, here is our introduction to the topic. <laughs> so with that being said, can you explain to us lay people who are not therapists, what is generational trauma? What is the, what is it? The DSM R five sixty fifty three. I don't know what that book is called, but you know what I'm it's talking true. about. And I don't even think that it's in there um, because it needs to be. <laughs> generational trauma is also called inherited trauma, and for the last 25, 30 years, there's been um, I would say a lot amount of trauma research and that really is due to like veterans and understanding like what what what's what happened with them what's going on with them and why aren't they getting better but science has shown that first of all we know that humans learn by modeling we learn we're not we don't it's not do as you do as I say not as I do it is do as you do that is how we learn and so when you think about the patterns of trauma, specifically in the Black community. Um, mm -hmm. We have generations of trauma because the culture, but also the ways that they had to deal with themselves and the things that they had to swallow and the things that they had to ignore in order to cope. But those same coping mechanisms, as well as some of those experiences are absolutely, we have inherited. And I think it's something like 65% of post-traumatic disorder symptoms are passed down through generations. Like you pass them down to your kids. Because if you think about it, the way that you view the world is impacted by your trauma. And one of the, there's a difference between post-traumatic stress, which we all have because we're humans, we all get stressed. But post-traumatic disorder, means that there's a severe dysfunction that impacts your ability to live a, uh, a functional or healthy life because you have things like intrusions and you're um, highly vigilant, which means you're always on the lookout for danger. But for many of us, 
that has become our natural way of being because of uh, look at the things our parents and grandparents and ancestors had to deal with. You so know what? feeling of safety. And there is, a, and I'm going to just say this and I'm going to let you speak. Yeah. There is research called the polyvagal theory and it's called the science of safety. And it's about understanding how we regulate one another, our nervous system, our behavior. But they virtually done no research on African-Americans. And I asked the actual creator of the therapy, the scientist who's magnificent, about it in a class. And he said, you know, I'm so glad you asked this because we have no idea. We have no idea because of historical trauma and generational trauma and all the things that you have been through. And we need to research it more. And he was like, it makes sense why you would never feel safe. And all the black people in the room, which was like six out of 200 came and talked to me because it was the thing that they're always thinking. That's why when we walk into a room, we look for other black people. We wow. look to see where we are because it's ingrained in us that we are not safe, especially when we're the minority in a situation. Does that make sense? Beyond sense. Oh my God, mine blown <laughs> yay <laughs> because it makes sense when you're right when we are the minority in the room <laughs> you're right you see that sister you we make an eye contact right yeah yeah, yeah. laser focus eye wow that is something else yeah. and it's not it, it is when we're the minority in the room but it's in life it because for many generations, we didn't have the luxury of feeling safe, of feeling protected, men and women. You know what I mean? When you know that you are a target, it changes how you go through life. And that the thing that I think that shows up in many Black women, which people might call defensiveness or angriness or controllingness, these are things that through generations women have used to try to keep themselves alive. Does that make sense? Yes, the survival skills. Yeah. Just wow. You know, I think it was one of my therapist friends, Latrend. I don't know if she's on here. I think she had said this to me. Anyways, what was said was about the generational trauma, how it's not just our three generations going up, how, like you said, it's our ancestors and how, if you think about it and anybody on here, I had, and I grew up around a lot of white people and been around their families. I never really heard anyone, but our race, like if a baby is crying, put that baby down, it'll be all right. Put the baby down. Oh, uh -uh, you want to spoil it. But I never heard my white friend's parents tell their siblings that. And when Latrenda said that i was like that is so true and she went another layer deeper she's like you think about it with our ancestors they're out the the, the sisters are out in the fields working picking cotton uh watching people get killed you know like you said and they're putting on that shroud of defense then they're having sex with their slave masters then they gotta go home no they're cooking then they gotta go home cook for their own family. Oh, excuse me, let me take it another step further. They are breastfeeding their slave master's babies. Then they gotta go home, cook for their husband again, mm -hmm. have sex with their husband, 
uh, breastfeed her own baby. Put the baby it's down. The there, you remember, it was breaking up families left and right. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Put the baby down. Of course, the woman is going to be tired. And then you're right. It just trickles down. And I mean, have you heard anybody say that? Put that baby down. You're going to spoil it. Um, I've heard plenty of dysfunctional things from black people, uh, my family included. And people, they have said things to me like about my daughter. Um, but okay, so there's so many things I want to say. Let me say that first. When you so like your DNA and they have researched um, people in natural disasters, which is considered to be trauma and the research shows, and this this field is still new, but the research shows that when a woman is pregnant and experiencing a, a high amounts of stress, that the gene expression of that child changes, meaning that traumatic experience has changed the DNA of the child because that child is being prepared to enter a hostile environment. Mm. Now, this has this research. There's not a lot of research on African Americans and what that looks like. But if we can see that in white people who are have, have experienced a trauma, like you know, a one-time event, we have experienced systematic trauma throughout generations. And racism is a trauma. There is research to show that because there, you know, black women, we know there's health disparities in. Um, the mortality rate of pregnant black women, even when they're college educated, they still die at a higher rate than white women with a high school diploma. And so when the research shows that there was no other cause. So what they labeled it is called the longstanding minority status. So just being black throughout your life and the things that that entails in culture produces trauma, which now impacts your unborn child. In vitro. The doc, the documentary that where they talk about this is called Unnatural Causes. If anyone wants to check it out, and so can you repeat that again? Unnatural causes. So anyone who, well, everyone who's listening, make sure and check out my podcast because any books or uh, articles that Sarita is talking about, I will put it in the show notes. So no worries. Go for it, Sarita. We need to hear this because it can still impact our children and the DNA from here and now going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do think, though, because um, I listened to a doctor at Morehouse College here in Atlanta, uh, Morehouse Medical School. And she is an MD and a PhD. And she talks about the social determinants of health. And she said, oh, I, I, I loved her. She explained how racism is like you have two flowers, one red, one pink. And the red flowers get all the fertilized soil, which is like the resources, right? They, they get everything that they need and they're to nurture and grow. The pink flowers got old, dirty, rocky soil that been there. Ain't nobody did it. Ain't nobody turning it. Nobody. It's just there. What they get, right. they get. So who, what, which flower is going to grow with, you know, all in all its lavishness. Now the pink flower is going to go, but they're, go, they're going to struggle. But what she said was that the pink flowers have been selected for genetically, which means they're naturally more powerful because they were able to survive that harsh environment. And that is us. 
When you think about what has had to happen, so yes, we can talk about generational trauma, but I bring this up because we also have to recognize our inherited power that Ooh. we have. You know what I'm saying? So that when we understand that, and even even the, the fact that we're able to thrive in this unequal environment where we have experienced a lot of trauma in our own lives and inherited, and yet we're still thriving in many different areas. So yeah. <laughs> that is deep to me. Woo. Wow, I'm gonna have to let that sink in. <laughs> So can you give different examples? I hate to say the obvious, but give examples that wouldn't be the obvious that is considered generational trauma. So I know you said once as far as how people are brought up in rough surroundings in a rough environment, they're seeing violence. That's trauma, correct? Generational trauma, especially if your family stays in it. Okay, so let me explain that with generational trauma. Okay, where do I start? Um, <laughs> this is so much, and I love this topic. Um, with trauma, like I, t I did talk about the environment, um, and I want to talk a little bit now about the mind, about the psychology. So what... What first of all, since you asked about the different types of trauma, we have what is what called a capital T trauma, which is sexual abuse, neglect, um, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, a natural disaster, community violence. These are all capital T traumas, right? And then you have small T traumas, which you know that can be a divorce, which means that you're still impacted. They don't have the impact of some of these other life changing events, right? Um, so what the research shows is that trauma, it changes your brain. It changes what's called your amygdala, which your amygdala is responsible for detecting and recognizing fear. So I learned that yesterday, two days ago, I did, I learned about the amygdala hijack. Yeah, that's it. And be, when you, that is absolutely it. We are hijacked um, a, when you've experienced trauma because you there's the, your brain, is now like we're in defense mode and you can show up in that fight or flight. So which is actually high stress. And when you're constantly, and that's what we're seeing um, with trauma, uh, people who've experienced trauma is that it's like they're exhausted, but they're always on go, right? And when you're in that mode, it's hard to think, it's hard to concentrate, it's hard to process. You're not you know, able to really connect. You if with fight or flight now with flight is that high adrenaline the, uh, excuse me with fight is that high adrenaline like you know you feel that heart pounding like let's say you're in a car and um someone almost hit you and you slam on the brakes you, you're filled with this burst of energy to go um because that means like i'm ready to fight this tiger that's chasing me so you have all this energy in the moment but your prefrontal cortex which is the part of your brain that is responsible for logic and thinking shuts down so that higher functioning thinking that we have as human beings, you don't mm -hmm. have access to that when you're in that fight or flight mode. And flight is depression, is eating, is I'm zoning out, I'm numbing out, I'm disassociating. And without any intervention, without any help, these become the, these become the way that we cope, the way that we deal with life. 
and how this applies to generational trauma is if I deal with life through fight, arguing, yelling, screaming, cussing people out, pushing people away, um, um, you know, struggling at work, struggling in my relationships, what do, what am I going to teach my children? The same how, I mean, thing. How am I going to teach them to be loving and calm and, and let's communicate and tell me how you feel and you deserve to be seen, heard and respected while we teach our children, children should not be seen and heard, which means you have no voice, which yeah. means your presence is just, your presence is not valued. So if you're teaching a child that, which I do think is a throwback from white supremacy, how is this child going to learn how to thrive? They're going to have to teach them the, the damn self. They have to teach themselves. Look, they'll be all right. Just go on, put that key on your neck. Don't let anybody in the house. Lock the door. Don't turn the stove on. Do your homework. Go exactly. to bed. Don't say anything to me. I'm tired. I that That's it. And that, that the thing about generational trauma is it shows up in how we relate to each other how what values we have we pass down to our children how we hold space for them and that is also called relational trauma so how i'm in relationship with you but then you throw in the mix with poverty and money and all of that it is it can be challenging for a mother to try to be everything when she is the janitor the cook the you know the, the one to pay the bill she's the breadwinner you know she she the the, the full-time you know child care taker and that's i mean that is that is that is can be traumatic for us as parents and definitely for the children definitely and so go ahead you want to ask a question yeah so and i would love to have you back to talk about this does trauma show up when you see it in that superwoman complex the superwoman syndrome i'm glad you brought that up okay I want to talk about two things because one, I don't want to end this without talking about it. The superwoman complex absolutely is a trauma response. So when you think about many of us, I'll use myself as an example. I had to be ultra responsible because my mom was a single parent. She was working. So I, you know, prepared my own meals and I was the one, um, you know, taking care of my clothes, cleaning my room. She didn't have to tell me what to do. And she mm. would tell me, I should not have to tell you what to do. Like you take care of, you You know what you need to be doing. And so I recognized that I was rewarded by showing up and, and, and being capable and, you know, going above and beyond her expectations. And it also kept me from feeling the wrath the anger and the rage that she had from her own experiences. So it was, it made sense for me to, to be that way, to feel like, you know, I, I am capable and I can handle it. But the problem is that for many women in that experience, one, it's normal in the black community. Um, for two, you learn that love comes from caretaking, from doing, from being indispensable, because I received love when I was doing and performing and giving and taking care of everything. And she didn't have to ask me for nothing. And, you know, the less I asked her for, the better it was for me. So if that is the experience that I'm having with love, how am I going to show up in my relationships later on in love? 
Do you mm. want to be doing performing Superwoman Independent? You know, I don't want to ask nobody for nothing. It's weak to be crying. You better get yourself together. Fix your face. Keep it moving. You ain't got time for that. Look, I got it. No, don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. You know when they making t-shirts that says fuck it, I'll do it. And, and they say and every black woman has said this. <laughs> I mean, I think that's pretty much been us for generations. It's horrible because I see it everywhere. Including, I'm not, yeah, I don't say anything. It's just, it's insane. I didn't see it myself for a long time. Yeah. I didn't see it. And in the way I interacted in my relationship with men, you know, men will say, Black women, you know, I try to be your mother, or I hear that you're not nurturing enough, you need to be, and, you know, babying men. Well, that's pretty much how we've been taught to love is to do, to perform, to caretake. That's been our experience, a lot of us. Yeah. If you had to do it all by yourself, it really, I can see the trickle down effect. That is the generational trauma. That's an aspect of generational trauma. And in understanding how that shapes a young mind, a mind that doesn't have the ability to reason and logic, it shapes you to see your worth and your value in what you're doing for other people. Because, you know, mama showed you love when you did what you were supposed to do, right? You are rewarded for that. And it's not that she didn't love you, but the way that the love showed up was in you behaving, doing what I say, and you taking care of me, basically in you being the fucking co-parent. Do you cuss on your show? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Um, and one last thing, because I want to talk about this, because this explains so much for me in understanding my own trauma. The research in trauma has shown that there, there is this phenomenon, this we call it defense mechanism called, you looking so serious, you done got in the camera. <laughs> <laughs> You are I love when you talk. I I just I'm a sponge on everything I talk about. I love so it. Much. I'm so grateful. I'm glad I done read a few things, honey. Um, but there's this phenomenon that is called repetition compulsion. Or yes, so it is the need to repeat. And this is one of the things that creates generational trauma. So through repetition compulsion, I will be naturally attracted to people in situations that mimic my trauma. So that's why people attract their mamas and their daddies and repeat those same patterns. And psychologists theorize that we're doing it because we want to gain a sense of mastery over a situation when we were powerless as children. Ugh. You feel me? So we are naturally drawn to. So when you feel that, you know, instant attraction, that, ooh, you know, he's patterns. That's what that is. We call it attraction. It's like, oh, they, they are matched to all my bullshit. <laughs> yes. Like, you're right. I met him. It's great. We get along. Yes. Oh, my God. We're so compatible. Yep. Trauma matching trauma. The trauma bonds. 
It is you repeating the same, doing the same thing that you experienced as a child. So a woman who is that ultra independent superwoman, it is very natural for her to attract men who will allow her to be that. Men who will allow her to take care of them and do everything and sometimes make her responsible for them. Like that's your job. And for some of them, that's because that's the way they were raised. Like they were coddled like that. And so in understanding that we repeat, and the research also shows that when a woman is sexually abused, she is more likely to put herself in a situation where her children are also abused. So she's in that repetition compulsion. And when a male is abused, they tend to identify with the abuser instead of the victim. The women tend to take on the role of victim and you know re being re-victimized, but mm -hmm. the males, they take on the role of the perpetrator because they're in power. So instead of being re-victimized again, they will take on that position where I'm going to be the one in control. I'm not going to let anybody control me. I'm going to be the dominant one. <laughs> and that's how it shows up for yeah. them. Yeah, you, you, you feel me on that? I'm laughing because uh, Derek Jones is on here. I think I had mentioned uh, him to you yesterday when we talk about, yeah, I did about the relationship gumbo. Yes. He had, a, I want you to actually go on and follow. And I'm laughing because two weeks ago, he did uh, an episode talking about Billy and Susie. So pretty much you all are saying the same thing just in different terms. And Billy has been coddled by his mother. Then he finds Susie. You know, Susie can be everybody you just talked about. So that's why I'm laughing because it's the same thing. Oh my yeah. God. And we, sh we have science to support it. That's, I mean, human beings, that's what we do. We like to think that we're so like, as adults, like, we have it all together. Like just because you turn a certain damn age, now you got all the knowledge and wisdom, right? Right. Now, we're most of us are still like little children running around playing adult. Yeah. And, yes. Until we take on the responsibility of being responsible for ourselves. That was that sound good. But until we take that take on that responsibility of learning for ourselves instead of doing that the thing on repeat, which is all of the toxic stuff we just talked about. May I ask you a personal question? You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. <laughs> so have you, what was your type of generational trauma specifically? Oh yeah, I was sexually abused as a child, as, there, as were many women before me. Um, <laughs> May I ask then, how, old, how old were you? I was 10. Yeah. And when I was 10, I was at the same height that I am now. So, you know, it was like, yeah, I was very tall for my age and not obviously mentally um, advanced. But when you and this is where the you know, we talk about trauma, but we also talk about like the environments when women are put in situations where, you know, there's poverty, there's um, uh, a community that is impoverished mentally and financially, there, there will be predators. 
there will be predators. And that was the experience. That was my experience. And I didn't really know that it impacted me until I was an adult. I didn't know. I didn't know. And I told my mom when I was 15 and nothing happened. It was like, nothing was said, nothing was done. And I didn't speak about how that impacted me until I was an adult. Like I, I stuffed it down, which is what I was taught to do. That's what I, I mean, I didn't, it was like, I saw women just pushing on and keep it moving. And that's what I did. That was my coping mechanism. So when you said mom didn't say or do anything, she didn't say or do anything to the predator or did she just, I know she shut you down, but was it, did she shut the predator down or did she just sweep under the rug? It, she didn't shut me down. It was just like, there was no other conversation after it. There was like nothing, nothing that I ever remember until later on. And so I still had to see this person. I still, because it was a family member. So I still saw this person in my life and I would always get this feeling. And now what I know was happening is I went into denial. Like there was a part of me that was responsible and this is how we cope. This is how we we go through hard things. There's a part of me that would disassociate me from those emotions. So I don't remember breaking down as a child. Like I don't remember having these overwhelming feelings. And it wasn't until I really started to search within myself. I had a suspicion that it was impacting me, but because I didn't have any feelings, I was like, oh, well, I must have dealt with it. You know what I mean? But the feelings was in there. They was just, they, they was just like real, real deep. You know what I'm saying? They were in there and they were showing up in my distrust for men, my inability to be vulnerable, my disrespect and anger towards men my willingness to cut them off real easy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it was, and even the men that I was attracting, I was attracting those types of men that would never require me to be vulnerable because they ain't know how to be vulnerable them damn self. You know what I'm saying? That's Billy. That's Billy. Exactly. I was, I had me some Billy's. Damn. It makes me wonder, you don't have to answer this, but it just makes me wonder if your mother was, abused because if she's having to deal with you her daughter then that's going to peel off the scab of what she if that happened to her well what i'm i'm going to say because of course when i started doing this and speaking out loud i had a conversation with my mom because i wanted to be able to speak my truth but i i did not want to violate hers right because she has the right to her own truth and her own experience and how she chooses to live it so what i will say um, is that she absolutely has had some horrific experiences in her life that the same that were silenced that were not talked about. So I do believe that she didn't know how yeah. to, to do it. You know, I don't think, and I mean, she's a she's a different person now, and we have these hard conversations, and it, it it's heavy. But I feel like. I will not carry this anymore. I will not um, inadvertently, accidentally, unconsciously pass this on to my child. So I must 
deal with it. And it's very difficult because then it puts it puts it out there for everyone else to deal with. And I try to be respectful of that. Um, but also I can't be responsible for that because I can no longer be responsible to keep be silent to keep other people comfortable. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think she had the capacity from what she experienced, which was much worse than what I, not that we're comparing, but it was very traumatic. So I don't think she knew how to deal with it. Just like her mother, I don't, her mother couldn't deal with it because she grew up in a different time. So that is what it looks like to experience generational trauma in that way. And when you have, especially women growing up in a culture where they're not protected, you can't go to, to the police. The laws aren't supportive of you. You know, you already, your humanity is constantly being denied on a regular basis. So what do they have left, you know, as a resource in order to try to regain power? Right. Wow, that's some he that's heavy. You know, I keep hearing the word come out of your mouth a lot. Silent. I was quiet. I was silent. That also, I'm thinking that it shows up as generational trauma because there's flight, fight, and then what if you just give up and play dead? Fawn. It's called fun. That's it. And I believe fawns are people pleasers. Susie. Susie. Yeah. Goddamn Susie and Billy. Was talking, well, that was the name, Susie and Billy, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. They become people pleasers. Go ahead. You right. Okay. You're people pleasers. I believe that, oh, they probably are messy as hell when they were younger or maybe as adults, because I guess they figured if they're gossiping and tell other people's business that it'll let people like them, which gives them a sense of validation. Maybe I'm digging too much. Well, let me say that, that um, I would not say the fun is messy. I think that they've learned certain things based on their experience. But what happens is, and we haven't even really touched on this, is one of the aspects of trauma is toxic shame. So like I stuffed my shame down because it's, it's, it's shameful to be, you know, abused or, you know, treated as an object or disregarded and discarded, you know, for any human being. And shame is a normal response for humans. But with trauma, we see that the, there is a toxic shame that instead of saying I did something shameful, it becomes I am shameful, right? Mm -hmm. and so those people who are messy and gossipy, they're releasing some of that shameful energy from themselves and putting it on to other people. So in the, in the moment, temporarily, I can feel a little bit better about myself. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So what are other ways of that generational trauma is and shows up? Any other examples? Um, the way it is and shows up. So we talked a little bit about dysfunctional relationships, but dysfunctional relationships is a big one um, because you don't know, you don't learn how to relate. But we, or I won't say, but I'll say, and the research also shows that there is um, what's called like an arrest or there's a, a developmental um, 
challenge, so to speak. And it's not to say that anyone is bad or wrong or broken, but the areas where a person who experiences trauma, it shows up in their self-concept. So how they see themselves, their self-worth, their um, self-respect. So you notice, and these are the things that I teach about because it has to do with the Mm. self. So the way that you see yourself, the way that you are deal with your emotions. And that's a big part of being a human. Trauma can, for your survival, cut you off from what you feel, what you really feel. It can have you in denial. Denial is a big tool for human beings, but especially for people in trauma. That's how you can stay in situations that are toxic as hell and say things like, oh, that's just the way he is. Because you are not. Like you are regularly lying to yourself. And then sometimes that those those lies come to the surface and now I got to self-medicate. So I might do some drinking or some binging or some watching TV or some sex because you can't it, tolerate the, the, the fact that you've been lying to yourself. Oh, right. Because who would want to be in a room with the pathological liar? And then you're looking in the mirror and you are the liar. And that, that's... That's that is the root of many cases of addiction, <clears throat> of self-medicating, is to be willing to sit with the painful stuff. And that's what people who are passing down the generational trauma are they're not doing. Because if they would, they would be passing down normal, but not normal, because the word normal is not the word, but healthy traits. Right. So people who, when you experience trauma, um, you experience, like I talked about a lot of shame, but you cover the shame with things like, don't talk about what goes on in this house. With things like, you know, I expect you to act like this. So perfectionism. And when you are setting these rules in your household like that, you are basically passing down shameful behaviors, shameful ways of thinking and being. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I'm teaching you how to be silent. And I'm judging you when you're not doing the things that I say to do that's based on these shame-based rules that will keep this house functioning. Because if someone wants to throw the truth out there, then it's going to disrupt this whole illusion that we done built. That's really essentially what's happening. Right. Oh my God. Keep that family business. Exactly. Stays in this house. What goes on this house stays in this house. Exactly. Those are why those are shame based rules. Those are rooted in shame. Meanwhile, mom is getting her ass beat. And they want to maintain the image that everything is all right. So that means they're teaching the kids to be in denial. So you go out here and you look good and you present yourself so Mm. that no one knows all of the toxic things that are going on. And that the, the children are then taught to disconnect themselves from reality. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. The disconnection, it's like, being in a car accident and you hear how people say they get in that car accident and they don't remember anything that happened a couple minutes before they just they're gone emotionally mentally they're just gone and then they just 
survive. That is called self-protection. And we do that in order to survive. And for a child, so, you know, let me give you an example. I talked about this in my masterclass. Um, people were like, <gasps> and I was like, because <laughs> it was phenomenal for me. So child hears mom and dad arguing. Child then sees mom and says, mom, are you angry at daddy? Mom looks at child with an angry face and says, there's nothing wrong. Go sit down. Child says, but I heard you. Mom says, what did I tell you? I'm not mad at daddy. If you keep asking me questions, then we won't have a problem. Go sit down. So the child then has to recognize that mom has lied to me. Her parent has lied to her and really is mad or that she's confused. And oftentimes the child will choose confusion. Well, it's easier. I, it, it is easier because then I don't have to deal with the pain and the fear that's rising up in me, right? Because if I do, I have to, you know, as a kid, especially, well, is something wrong with mom and daddy? Could they be breaking up? Is, you know, is it, are they arguing about me? Whatever it is, I go through a child's mind, which is a lot of stuff. You can choose that or you can choose what well, I must be confused. So when that happens thousands of times throughout a child's experience, then that child learns that her view of reality is inconsequential and wrong. So she learns to depend on other people, which is we see that with people who are with narcissists, with people who are because they've learned how to be in denial and they learned it from their toxic environment. So they will do the repetition compulsion and get with people who are just like the household and the relationship that they saw growing up. So, so yes, that's happened to me. Ooh, mind blown. So how should the mother re respond to the child when that question is asked? That is a very good question. And I would say, and this is my personal opinion, that you can let the child know that adults have conflict, just like you know they argue with their friends or adults don't always agree. And that is a normal part of being human. But you also have to, I would say also to the child that, um, while you might have questions, and I understand I'm willing to answer those questions that are appropriate, but my job is also to protect you. So my job is to not ex to explain like what's going on with, you know, I'm mad at daddy because, because that the kids, first of all, that's a boundary that parents need to have. Like you don't have to explain that, but to explain that sometimes people get upset, but it, it, the important part is how you deal with it. Sometimes people argue, sometimes people don't agree. That is a normal part of being around other human beings. And yeah. child, I don't want you to worry about that because it's not a problem, okay? Mommy and daddy will be fine and no matter what, we love you. Go watch TV. Like, what can a child say to that? Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but the lying and denying sets them up because you've just invalidated their entire experience of truth. Wow. Mm. And they just become the older they get or the more they see it, the child will become smaller 
and smaller and smaller. And then I start to question myself with everything because I, I will feel insecure. Well, am I doing this right? Am I, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm seeing this wrong. Well, maybe. And then when you go, when you enter into a relationship and your partner is telling you it's you, you made the mistake, you're wrong. Is the way you said this or the way you did this? Oh, well, then I must be wrong. Because that's what you've been to being told. Wow. Mm. Trauma is horrible. It's, it's just like the, the gift that keeps giving. That is so funny because that is exactly what I say. That is hilarious. But I will say that the fact that we can have these conversations, we can begin to understand our human nature and how we can't, how we have a responsibility to not be frivolous wow. with our children, with how we shape them, with what we put into them. And we can't be frivolous with ourselves because, you mm -hmm. know, the patriarchy has told us for a long time that, you know, men and women, I mean, women and children were the property of a man. You know what I'm saying? So it was all about what he said, what he wanted, you know, for a very long time and we're still you know dealing with that <laughs> it's yeah. really nurturing a, a child and an individual's humanity i think is what i would like to think is what understanding this knowledge is bringing to us like mm -hmm. stop fucking lying to yourself so you can stop lying to your kids like that's what it comes down to right Look in the Take mirror and it's you. going to be ugly. It's not going to feel good. Who wants to know that you messed up, but there's always room for improvement, self-improvement, but you got to sit in it. It, it. It's ugly, but you, you got to get life. It's life. life. I mean, it's, that is what is normal. Instead of you trying to make something be normal that you know damn well it ain't normal. Yeah. That that is where I think we're really learning, you know, just as as a human beings and as a culture. Mm. And we know that something is wrong because of those triggers. You just we just stuff the triggers down mm. and just just make it go away. Ignore it. Ignore all the signs. You know, the, the trigger um, in one of my, I can't even remember where I learned it, but every irritation is an invitation. And the trigger. Say that again. Every irritation is an invitation. Explain so that. Every, every when, when the irritation comes up. It's inviting you to look within yourself because the feeling that's in there, the feeling that's coming up is most likely not about the situation. It's about some unresolved thing within yourself that you've not addressed. And that's what a trigger is. A trigger is actually a past learning experience. So you've learned to feel that feeling. Like, let's say, you know, someone says something and it makes you feel insecure. That's because the insecurity was already in there from some other experience that you never addressed. So there, they, the, the trigger is I'm feeling this thing, but we're not taught to understand and look within and, and figure out why. It just means that, oh, what, what we're taught to do is tell other people to stop so that we don't feel a certain way or we just be in denial. 
So I think that we don't, we, our culture hasn't been a culture that says, um, that even accepts emotions. Like a woman being emotional is considered a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're feeling what you're feeling is disgusting, especially for many women. Like pull yourself together, get it together. What's wrong with you? You're up here crying and can't be crying at work. <laughs> you be human at home. Here you just put on your face and act like you know what you want to do. Are you on your period or something? Yes. 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 Oh, speaking of crying at work, is there such thing as professional trauma, work trauma? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. 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 I mean, corporate, they do. They talk about, um, I have a friend who is a um, physician and she talks about the trauma of their training and how they're trained. So, yeah, I mean, that can absolutely have an impact on you. Really, what trauma is, it's like you don't have the, we experience trauma because you don't have the either capacity or ability or support to process the experience, to process your emotions. And in some extreme cases, to process the memory, which is why you have flashbacks, because it's never been integrated. So when the memory is coming up, it's your system trying to heal itself, but you are afraid. You don't want to. You don't want to feel it. So you want to do some things to drown it out. You know what I'm saying? To ignore it because we don't. It, it's like it's to give into that. We're taught like is less than it, it's it's less than human. It's a problem to feel how you feel and accept your emotions, but they are all invitations. Ooh. You got your money's worth today? <laughs> Mine blown. Oh my God. If anyone has questions, please put them in the comments. This is some good stuff. I really believe that for change and healing to take place, it's always good to go back. Like you just said, to figure it out. Usually it's it's not just that iceberg it's what's under it that whole undercurrent under it that we need to deal with and i say this all the time if you don't know how to do it it's okay to talk to a counselor a therapist a trained professional (laughs) because if not once again, that's the gift that's just going to keep giving and just keep passing it on. And not all gifts are good. You are absolutely right. And I do to encourage people to um, be able to understand that you go to an expert or a person who's trained. If you you know if you if, if you got a cavity or your teeth fall out, if you uh you know want to get your car, like you just not gonna knock on your random neighbor's door, like can you fix my car? My car is broken. You know what I'm saying? You have people like this is their this is their profession. This is their passion. This is you know what they've been trained in, and there is no shame and being supported with that, being supported by it. Mm-hmm. I think that is what is necessary for you to support yourself in the way that you get what you need. Exactly. Because if you don't, once again, that gift keeps giving and you give that gift, as Derek says, you give that gift to Billy and Susie Mm -hmm. and then Susie and Billy will create Billy Jr. 
And here we are, Billy the 18th, and it's just horrible. You need to listen to that episode. I will check it out. I mean, that's that's what that's what our generational inheritance is is about. Is you know we're creating the same thing because the kids are watching your interactions with Billy and Susie. They're they are going to mimic. They're going to take on those same roles. Like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to do it. Like, I watch my daughter. She watches me do everything. We're brushing our teeth together. She's looking at me like brush my teeth, and then she brushes the same way. Like. She's looking at everything mm -hmm. and she's taking it all in. And I don't take that lightly. I, I respect it and I try to do my best to show up as the best for her. Mm. Doesn't it feel good to be on the other side of the rainbow near the pot of gold? I've never experienced so much peace before. I know. Doesn't that it feel good? Gift. That's the real gift that keeps on giving. Um, yes, that is the real gift that keeps giving. You think about how whole your daughter is going to be because of the foundation that mommy already set up with her. That's, and that is because I didn't think I would have any kids. So, because I didn't know if I wanted them because I didn't want to bring a child in in this world and give her the same, I was about to cuss, the same stuff. So right. well, go for it. It is. It's the same bullshit. I'll yes. say it. I did not want that at all. And I, you know, was searching and searching to try to figure out, like, what is the problem? Like, is it me? Because I'm amazing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, boo. It's you. And, so, and with her, it's so funny because she doesn't like half of anything. It's hilarious. And I'm like, don't give her no half a cookie. If her popsicle break in two, I got to give her a whole fresh new popsicle. She don't want half of nothing. And she is, I, I don't discourage her from feeling her emotions. I let her feel how she feels. We set boundaries, but I recognize that it will be perfection for me to expect her to act anything more than a three-year-old acts. That would be perfection. And that would be shame inducing if I'm expecting her not to have tantrums. Because the way I look at her, the way I communicate with her, the way I would be, would be shaming. So right. for me to have the patience of knowing that the better I am with her, the better human being she will be to herself. Mm. And then can you imagine now how your grandchildren are going to be? That makes me happy because that's yeah. like, and my mom said to me, I know you will make sure that no one touches her. She, she said, she was like, I know that you have broken the cycle. And that is, I felt like, I've always felt like that was my purpose, even when I wasn't even clear on it. Like, I felt like this is, this was like my journey. And of course, the, the journey brought me back to myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's some good stuff. Kudos to mom for you all being able to have those conversations. It's true. I have to give her props. Um, you know, it's difficult and she's very honest about the difficulty sometimes. Right. She says that she's very proud of me um, for what I'm doing. Um, but she, 
has the, she, she, it's like something within her wanted it. I don't think she know how to, she knew how to do it. So she gave me, she, she, she kind of like um, put into me this drive. And I don't even know if it was like a conscious thing, but she put in me this drive to figure it out, to understand more, to go deeper. And I told her when I first started doing this, I said, you planted the seed. Don't get mad when I come back with the gifts. Like don't. And I, and she sat with that and we have been able to have, and it's not always easy and I don't expect it to be, but I am grateful that we, that, that she tries, that she has an interest, that she has a motivation. So yeah, we we're, we're good. We're good. That is amazing. Wow. Whew. That is amazing. Well, we're going to wrap it up. I could talk to you all. Hell, I have yesterday. <laughs> Everyone, I talked to this sister. She talked to me. We were on the phone for a long time. Mm -hmm. it, it felt like it was seven minutes, and it was not. But it, I felt this is, you know, what Sarita is not my therapist. I'm no longer in therapy because I've done the work. And I'm However, she's not my therapist, but because she is a therapist, she asked me some extremely triggering questions yesterday, but not triggering in a bad way. You know what? I now have the tools to be able to process the feelings that I have so that it won't turn into a negative trigger. So after talking to her, Yesterday, I felt so much lighter because it was, I now know how to communicate effectively because I am going to pat myself on the back. My emotional intelligence is so much higher. So that's just my way of encouraging people to go and talk to someone, a coach, therapist, once again, a counselor. It, the the trickle-down effect is so positive. And if it's not that person, make it somebody who you really trust who does have some wisdom and insight. You and know, who can I, be objective. Right. I have a dear friend, Linda. I don't know if Linda's still on here. Linda's going to be on my show. That's hey, a Linda. secret I let out. But I, <laughs> but I talked to her and she, her wisdom, mm, she has so much wisdom. So my point being is there's always someone to talk to because sometimes talking to yourself is not the best thing and it will continue to have that, that, um, that generational trauma will continue. And you're just staying in your head and ruminating. It's doing nothing, nothing good. So that being said, Sarita, is going to bless the mic again next week, November 6th at three o'clock. We're going to have part two of this talk about generational trauma. So today was really letting everybody know how it looks. If you all have any questions, DM me, call me, send me text, whatever it is, questions, or just email Sarita or go on her social media. It's the whole 
therapist. And if needed, we may continue this conversation. You never know. We may have a part three. But <laughs> either way, November 6th, we are coming back. And Sarita is going to let us know. Right now, like I said, she is holding our hand and we're marching up the rainbow. We're on the arc now. So next week, Sarita is going to hold our hand again. And she's going to lead us down to the pot of gold and how to heal from generational trauma, how to stop it. And the benefits of having ceased that. Oh, the benefits of stopping that gift that keeps giving. <laughs> <laughs> and for the real true gift, right? The so, real yeah. true gift. And it's not just a gift for ourselves. It's for our mm -hmm. offspring or anybody we mentor. Why not show up in the whole person that we are? God created all of us perfect. We just got a bunch of garbage and a bunch of trauma on top of it and toxicity and clog it. That's it's right. Sexy. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, the, the culture benefits, the world benefits, because when you do that, you can show up and happier, um, you know, more focused on what you really enjoy, your passion, your creativity, like trauma blocks those things because we shut ourselves down. So it's hard to be traumatized and creative. You know what I'm saying? So, so you show up and it impacts how much money you can make because if I'm hiding away, you know what I'm saying? I'm not out there taking risk and doing my thing and having faith in myself. So every aspect of your life benefits. It really does. A dear person named Lori, she said this to me and I said this in the podcast earlier, how you said how it benefits the world. So she mm -hmm. said, and this resounded with me so much that everybody is like a, a stone. Mm -hmm. And if you take that stone and you throw it on the pond, in the pond, and what does it do? It has a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. So every time we heal that trauma, every time we unclog that trauma and get rid of that toxicity, and it goes on, it ripples effect to other people. So now you, your mom and her mom's mom are all stones. So now you are the current stone and your daughter is the rip, the positive ripple effect of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. The world will vibrate much better. So everybody, oh we're all ripple effects. It's just which kind of ripple do you want to show up at? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm very much so looking forward to next week. And I, I'm so glad we connected. So glad. I am as well. I am as well. So I'm grateful that um, not just about your persistence, but you creating this platform to have these kind of dialogue and these kinds of conversations because this is you being the positive ripple effect, right? And these conversations can have such a powerful impact on so many people. And I want to, to end with this, that my, my hope is that in listening to these conversations that people can recognize that they're normal. And with all the shit that we've experienced, the trauma is a normal response to an abnormal situation. 
And in understanding that, um, I, my hope is that you can be more gentle with yourself, more compassionate, more understanding, and allow yourself to become the friend that you've needed, the friend that you can count on, the friend that gives you love when you need it most. And mm -hmm. when you do that, you can begin the foundation for healing because that is the, that, that's really the key is that we are the person we've been waiting for all this time to come save us. Like no one's coming to save you because you have the capacity and the ability and the divinity to save yourself. Absolutely. Here's a, a little trick that I learned that, and people can show up and be the person that they never had growing up. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. reparent yourself. Mm -hmm. That's it. Show yourself <laughs> love and love yourself. Because if you look for other people to fill that love, not everybody is there for your best interest. That's at all. it. It so. begins and ends with you. Did you have any parting words before I say my last parting words? Me? I thought I just did. Did you, you want me to say something else? You'd like to. You've been rolling with it for an hour I, plus. I know. Um, <laughs> oh, we can I'm, always take it for next week. Okay. I just want to say love on you. And for all your listeners, love on you. Yeah. That is the ultimate benefit that you get from any kind of self-development work or personal work. Just love on you. I love it. So my parting words is for everyone who's listening, whether if it's a replay or live, Sarita dropped some really good gems today. We all, I know at least one person has felt this, but what are you going to do with it? Are you just going to still be in that feel good moment or are you going to excel, move forward, propel yourself? Like what actions are you going to do with that? Or is it just going to sit here and, you know, it's like going to church. You're feeling good on Sunday. Then Monday, you're great. And Tuesday, you cussing everybody out, whooping people's ass. They're like, what are you doing? You know, so sit with it, but also show some action. So even if it's just one little thing each day to make a change, do it. Do it. And what, what's the harm? Even if you just show up. And, it's, and what I'm talking about is not external. Do something internal, emotionally. If you're that hard woman and that strong Black woman and nothing can buy, show up for a couple minutes being vulnerable. It gets easier. You just got to do it. Just got to do it if you want to. I'm good talking. One last thing I am going to say for real, and then we're going to get off. I love that hair color. <laughs> ah, you know what? We twins. See, you know what I'm saying? We just vibing all over, right? <laughs> you know that, that that fiery goodness. And that's what that's that's just what we did today. So yes, we are fabulous, aren't we? <laughs> Extremely audacity. We have the audacity to be fabulous. Oh. I got that from you. I got that from you. 
<laughs> I love it. That's right, baby. We are audacious. We are. Okay. And that's what it takes yeah. to have this conversation. That's exactly what it takes, I believe, to tell the truth. And that's all we, when we give ourselves the gift of that, I think we can be free. And you know what? We'll end on that note. All right. It's been a pleasure. I'm so grateful to you and all your listeners. Take care. Stay on. Everyone, I'll see you November 6th. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. If anything you heard today made your soul vibrate, please like, comment, and share this episode with two of your friends. Thank you and I love you all. This for the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self esteem. Beauty supreme and Buddha walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate. Sun kiss goddess, heavenly order, levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure. You got to love a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, dog. <laughs>